do we do? We still do that. <laughs> we haven't done it in a long time. Uh, no, we we if, it make you, if it would make you feel better, Sam, we can do it. Well, you know, it's it's your show. Is it? <laughs> so I was I was actually we're not going to count down. I was looking back through some old documents today. You'll appreciate this, and we we didn't talk about this in the pre-show. It's brand. It's going to be brand new for Sam. Um, and I found show notes of mine in my Google Docs from February of two thousand nine. Wow, you used to write back great when, show notes back when it was um it was still Thinking Baptist at the time. Oh yeah. And so that was, you know, because we always say like, oh, maybe 2009, 2010. We don't really remember. But February 2009, I have show notes from some early shows. So we at least go back to February 2009. Wow, that's crazy. So that, I mean, that's crazy. That's over eight years we've been doing this show. <laughs> that's this shit's older than my uh, six-year-old daughter who's <laughs> like a sentient being. Wow. I really could. I was kind of shocked by that. I really can't believe that. Seven. I mean, it's been off and on, right? But this, I mean, this, you know, we're the 104 that we're at now, today's, you know, episode 104. This was like when we kind of booted this back up again recently, we just basically started over in our counting. So we have way more than 104 shows, but. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think it's, I mean, it's a lot more than that. And then there are some that we cut out because they were terrible. Yeah. We've done shows that never got posted too. Yeah. 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 Those were, those were. Lots of fun, for one reason or the other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was. Uh, I was. You know, it kind of took me back a little bit. I, I could think about me sitting in um, my little tiny office because that was when that was when we both lived in Western North Carolina. We were in Dip yeah, School. You, you're still at. Yeah, you're still over there. Yeah, and I was in Shelby, this little yeah. tiny. I was in Shelby. I was in this tiny 800 square foot house. Um, for those of you that are living in big cities and living in smaller apartments. Um, I apologize. Uh, but yeah, our house was absolutely tiny, um, 800 square foot. <clears throat> and I can remember sitting sitting there doing some of our early shows. Um, yeah. So it's, I don't know. It, it was fun to reminisce on that for a few minutes today. That's funny. I forgot we started while y'all were still in, in Shelby. Because I always think like, oh, no, it was after they had moved and... Yeah. Yeah, because remember we did a we did a live show. Um, yeah, you came down in, to Columbia and did a live yeah. show. We've been doing the show for a while before we moved down to Columbia. So, right. Um, wow. Yeah. That's funny. Cause yeah, I, was, I used to record in the office in Asheville. Yeah. And yeah, uh, uh, because we, we it, it was always late at night when we started, yeah. which is never a good idea no. for a podcast um, about religion called Thinking Baptist. So I think that was a lot of our, our early uh, stalled inertia was we called ourselves Thinking Baptist and <laughs> we yeah, just well, kind of so came out know, of the gate swinging. Yeah. So I got interviewed. You know, I mean, obviously, you know this, but I don't know if our listeners do. I got interviewed a while back for a piece in On Faith about our show and it was kind of in conjunction with South by Southwest and was kind of going back through. Doug Boyne was the one who um, interviewed me and. He's got a great book, by the way, in case you're interested. Uh, it's called Coming Out Christian in the Roman World. Really um, kind of fun book. I, I think it's really accessible. But when I was talking with him, it was great. I mean, it was an interview. It was kind of like he and I just had a 30-minute conversation, which was a lot of fun. But um, I was kind of retracing, like, the history of the show. And, you know, you don't th- we don't think about it very often, kind of like where we started and things that we were interested in at the time and how that shifted – um, but we were. I mean, we talked about. I mean, these show notes talk about like CBF stuff, and it's like, wow, like we don't ever talk about CBF stuff anymore. What, what's the CBF? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. What the what the C the CF what B what is that the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? Um, <laughs> Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I mean, over eight years, we not only see the show evolve, but it's, you know, it's a little bit of a reflection of kind of how we've evolved over that time as well. So it's, it's really interesting uh, to think about and, and to, to discuss. Well, I will say we're recording on a Thursday night and I'm actually missing Monday, Thursday service. Um, yeah, me too, and my wife okay. and, and our two daughters and our small child went. So I'm, I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. Is, your, is, she, is she doing the service tonight? Yeah, of course. So I was like, yeah. so are you, are you going to watch some feet or how, how are you going to handle that? She was like, what do you mean? I was like, Monday third, like it's Latin. It means the what command or whatever, you know, like it, it it's, 
indicative. You're, you're supposed to be washing some feet and giving some pedicures, and then you, you put the, the feet into the tank with the little fish in it, and they eat the skin off. <laughs> yeah, Isn't exactly. that what Jesus did? And, uh, yeah, she's all about the foot washing, though. She's, she's it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, my I mean, wife's actually um, one of the leaders for uh, uh, Monday, service, Monday Thursday service um, tonight as well, and yeah. I'm not there. But yeah, my my ten uh, year old daughter was like, "So, wait, we have to go to church on a Thursday night? What is that?" <laughs> <laughs> so I'm explaining the the Easter process to her, and I'm like, "Well, so we're reenacting these things." She's like, "Why are we doing this?" And it was a, it was a fun conversation. It was yeah. kind of like our conversation last week about the Easter Bunny and and all that. But I mean, when when people, I don't know, like I go to a really you know, low church, Baptist church. And my wife is a minister there. When we say Monday, Thursday, like what do people think that means? They don't, they don't, I, I, I don't know. I would imagine they don't think it means, like they don't know what it means, right? I mean, like why do, why do Baptists celebrate that? I mean, why not say like, we're going to get together on Thursday because that's when Jesus had the last supper. And, and have like a last supper thing but like why call it Monday Thursday or Holy Thursday know. you're the Baptist you're Episcopalian really. <laughs> Presbyterians do it too I know said. but that's what Calvin said yeah. but only in very official ways um, so if you know it, I mean this whole Holy Week uh, I don't know Holy Week is, is it's an interesting conundrum I think for, for modern Americans you know, cause why, we, why, why do you think that? We're getting less and less religious, you know, as, as a people. Um, and I'm going to speak in generalities, so, you know, hashtag normative. But, you know, we're, we're getting less and less religious. We're going to church less. Or fewer, fewer of us are going to church, I should say. And, you know, the, these cultural underpinnings like Holy Week, where you used to have Palm Sunday and that meant something sort of culturally different than maybe I don't know what it what it might mean now and and you have Monday Thursday service and Good Friday service and then you have Saturday where everyone is kind of in lament and it's you know you you, you pull your your shades and it you know you, you wear black because you and you listen to Johnny Cash all day and then on Sunday you know you, you get up and you put a suit on and you go to service at not at you know seven or eight o'clock or whatever the hell people do now like that that pisses me off when people have you know quote sunrise service at sunrise 8 o'clock service, yeah, exactly. with yeah. bacon and ham and eggs and anyway um, you know you, I mean, as a kid like I remember going to going to sunrise service and the sun was coming up and I hated it but it was you know it meant something and then you go home you take a nap and then, you, then you, you come back and you go back to church at 11 o'clock <laughs> and I don't know if y'all did that but I remember that and I just remember thinking like you know, I don't have time for the Easter Bunny because this this thing is much bigger part of my life right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, it just it doesn't feel like culturally that it's got the same resonance now. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I, I lament you know that the passing of the Christian America ideal or whatever, but it was nice that we had. A week, or, or you know, even every Sunday, we we had this time set aside where lots of people, black, white, Hispanic, Latino, whatever nationality, Asian, uh, Protestant, Catholic, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, you would go to this place, and it would remind you, hey, it, it, it's good to it's good to wear a suit once a week. It's good to it's good to you know get reminded that you should be nice to each other and and you should um, care about the poor people and you should um, you think about something other than yourself or your political views or or how you view the world and maybe you might learn something along the way and you know we we keep talking about the the rapid decline of American Christianity and I think so much of that has to do with people getting that. I don't know that that feeling or or whatever that church provided for a, a lot of people for a hundred, two hundred years here, getting that in other ways, 
you know, whether it's reading Donald Trump tweets or whether it's reading Mother Jones or, you know, Robert Reich on Facebook or, you know, whatever. Like, there, there's a, a different way to get those avenues. But, but in the past, for one hour or a week, there was this place where you could go and get reminded of that. And, like, it was, it was a, a, a way for us to get out of ourselves. Well, at its best, Hashtag it was. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, and then, you know, the church men, white men would go out and lynch a, a black guy or something. But Right. Yeah. You know, I, ideally, there, you know, there's something to be said about that. Yeah. And I, lo- I, mean, I love the I internet guess. more than anyone, but, you know, it just feels like we, we've lost, like, we're so, we're all so radicalized. <laughs> like, we can't talk to each other. And I hear I hear that from family members. I hear that from people on Facebook. Like, oh, or, or people that want to. Someone the other day said, I, "I would love to post this on my Facebook feed, but I can't post it because of the people that follow me and my friends." And I was like, "Wow, that's that's kind of weird." And it it wasn't anything like overtly political, but it, you know, it had an edge to it. But still, it was it was kind of a surprising statement from someone who I've always considered, you know, rather mainstream, but. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on the the subculture that you're in, right? Because in, in some of these subcultures, um, Holy Week still plays just as big of a role as, you know, we may think it used to. Um, I mean, you know, for you and I, we are um, in various ways kind of maybe more intimately tied to clergy than a lot of people might be um you could say that (laughs) yeah that's one way to put it (laughs) we're both sleeping with the minister uh well not the same one but um i'll stop there (laughs) (laughs) there was never mind so you but you know i think about um you know a church that i used to work at did a a walk with the cross on friday you know on good friday and, you know, walked, you know, kind of through the middle of town. And, um, I mean, for, so for them, kind of Holy Week still had this um, this rhythm to it that affected their, their life um, in a way that I think you're kind of referencing. And I, I But I, I guess my point is I think it still does for some people. Um, but I also think, I mean, the decline that we're seeing, or are, there are a thousand factors for it. But, you know, you're talking about kind of what people get and they're finding that they can get that from other places. I think that's definitely true. I think some people are also deciding, I don't need what you get there. Right? And turning down the things that we would all consider negative, but also turning down some things that some of us might think are positive. Right? I don't need to go to a place where they're only going to tell me how bad I am. Um, you know, I don't need to go to a place that's going to say this and then do that. Um, you know, if that's what I want, I can go, you know, talk to my ex or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because sometimes when, when we're reminded that our ideas and opinions and ourselves aren't, you know, the best or whatever. I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. And, and of course, in certain contexts, you know, spiritual abuse, that kind of thing, then right. that needs to be reconsidered. And I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, MAGA the church or anything, but. I can't believe that's no, we're trying term. to mega the church. Tell <laughs> <laughs> to, to be really meta. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, uh, is it a generational thing? I mean, is I, I don't want to play into my marketing background, but I mean, I, it, it might be a situation where the baby boomers have a have a different understanding of what America is or what a country is or what our culture is than, than the millennials in a very real way. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we can, we can take that out of the equation at all. Um, but it's not, I don't think it's as stark as, no, I don't think you're saying this, but I don't think it's as stark as some people would like to believe that it is. Right. I mean, we have this idea that like, Oh, well, you know, Democrat, I was talking with uh, somebody about this recently that you know, Democrats have kind of felt like we've got the, dem- the demographic advantage. And so we're just going to kind of wait it out and we're going to win. But 
there's no guarantee, for instance, that all Latinos are going to remain democratic. And if you want to speak in generalities, you would actually say, well, maybe, you know, a lot of Latinos would maybe more naturally be Republican for a, a number of reasons. Um, the Republican Party just continues to keep shooting themselves in the foot uh, with that group. <clears throat> but the same way with, you know, college students. I mean, it is, you know, if you spend any time around college students like I do on a regular basis, uh, you realize that they're no different than anybody else. There are, you know, extremely conservative college students and extremely liberal college students. And this idea that college campuses are just a breeding ground of, uh, you know, this kind of radical left liberalism is, I mean, the only people that can think that are people that never spend time on a college campus, right? Um, and in fact, some of the most conservative people that I met, that I know that I have met in my life are college students, right? They're in that 18 to 22 year old range. Um, so, I mean, I think that, yeah, to some degree it's generational, but I just want to kind of temper that a little bit in our analysis here because some of the most growth that we see in like these mega churches, for instance, are people in, you know, our age group or maybe my age group and, and I don't know what your age group is, but, um, right. You know what I'm saying? So it's the, it's the young, youngish, late twenties, early thirties, hip crowd, young professionals, um, you know, the people that we desperately long to be, um, that's where you're seeing a significant amount of growth in really conservative kind of mega churches. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think my, my problem with the baby boomers, if you're a listener on the show, then of the show, then uh, I'm sorry. And you're a baby boomer. But I think my problem is I, I look at something like the Donald Trump movement and, and this swing, this radical swing back this other way, away from Obamacare, away from uh, foreign intervention, which, you know, <laughs> that's kind of playing out differently here in the first hundred days. Um, you know, that the internationalist globalist stance, kind of perceived liberal democracy, whatever. I, I look at that and I, I think, I think it really is sort of like the last gasp of whatever the baby boomers were trying to do or, or get right as a group. I mean, it, don't forget, like, this is a group that gave us Jimi Hendrix and, and Woodstock and, you know, the, the, the Vietnam protest. I mean, it's, just, it's the same demographic. It's the same age group. And they pushed back on Nixon and they didn't treat the veterans all so well, you know, when, when they came back from Vietnam. And this is after the greatest generation, you know, their parents who who went through World War uh, Two, who who, you know, I don't know. There, there was such a, a big shift between, I think, the the culture of that war and and what it meant for the country and what happened with Vietnam and the baby boomers. Um, you know, those were our our boys in, in World War Two. You know, and, and you could look at them and say, oh, well, that guy's a teacher, just like in Saving Private Ryan, or that guy's a lawyer, or that guy's, you know. And they're these, you know, th these apple pie Americans. By the time we get to Vietnam, you know, the, the baby boomers were not necessarily, not necessarily, you know, sending just the outcasts over to Vietnam, but, you know, those it, it wasn't the same perception of, of what that conflict, what that... Well, but that but I, I also think when we think about those shifts, and, the, and, the, and I think you're right, those are really radical shifts that are going to happen in the in the American psyche and their relationship to the military. <clears throat> but I, I think that we can't talk about that without talking about the justifications for those conflicts. Well, yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, they started out as early adults being this anti-war, anti-establishment, let's pull up our socks, grow our hair along, everybody has a good time generation. We're going to, we're going to smoke pot. We're going to, we're going to go roll in the mud at Woodstock. And then by the eighties, all of a sudden the baby boomers have become Michael Douglas and Wall Street and greed is good. Uh, Glenn, what's his name? Greco, Gecko, whatever. Um, 
that guy, you know, with the, with the big cell phone. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, we, we used to be idealistic, but but you know, you got you got to watch out for yourself. And we're gonna we're gonna help people by making a lot of money, and then we can give a lot of money. And that so influenced politics and churches, and you know, the the Reaganomics era, you know, Michael J. Fox on Family Ties, that that whole sort of perception that well, you know, we used to be hippies and and fun and and uh, think that you know, peace, love, and, and uh, you know, sex or whatever was a way to, to enlightenment, but now we realize, no, oh, you got you to gotta have a big house and have a big mansion in, in Charlotte. Um, and then that same group is a group that elected Trump. But 75% of the people that voted for Trump, well, I forgot the stat. I was listening to this on Freakonomics the other day. It was something like 75% of the people that voted for Trump don't actively go to church. Okay, I don't know. It was, it was a weird like crossed it. You know, it's it's like yeah. in, in in movies where uh, uh, you know you have uh, 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 let me pull an actor Steve Carell, you know, as the star. Then there are more drownings via hot tub. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That kind of thing. But it's kind of the last gasp of that group, and there's there's a group above me i'm i'm almost 40 there's a group above me that's that's coming along and that's kind of that early gen x group and then you get my generation whatever we are kind of the forgotten generation in between gen x and the millennials um and it just feels like there's so much kind of generational understanding and and importance of knowing that your worldview really is going to be determined by when you were born, which I, I used to think was a total misnomer, but now I'm kind of <laughs> thinking that's the case. I don't yeah. know. No, that was a very long way to go around it. I'm sorry, but no, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting to think about because, you know, we have these conversations and a lot of times we take this kind of thing for granted. And a lot of times people like you and me really push back against these, uh, generalities. Right. But, um, and we can always find exceptions to the rule. But, you know, maybe these are the exceptions that prove the rule, right? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think it's it's interesting to think about. But, it, yeah, I mean, the fact that your worldview is determined by you when you were born is, is not just happenstance, right? It has to do with all the factors you're talking about. You know, did you grow up when um, your country was fighting a war that essentially everyone believed was just and good? Or did you grow up when your country was fighting a war that everyone believed was unjust and unwinnable? Or did you grow up like we did, like I did, when your country is fighting multiple wars that it doesn't want to admit that it's fighting, um, that have essentially no justification, right? I mean, so today Trump fires the Moab, right? Probably not Trump, and certainly not Trump himself, and it's not even clear that actually Trump knew it was happening. But um, the, you know... The people are calling the mother of all bombs, just the biggest non-nuclear bomb that the U.S. has. And supposedly uh, it was um, fired at a an ISIS tunnel complex because we've been bombing them. And so they've gone, they've taken to going into tunnels. So now we're going to bomb their tunnels. Okay. Um, what is, you know, people are talking about how big the bomb is. You know, Trump is talking about his 59 cruise missiles that he shot into Syria and how he ordered it over a beautiful piece of chocolate cake at his private club. Like, I mean, you know, so, yeah, that's going to affect you if you grow <laughs> was, up in that world. That's so terrible. I can't believe. You know, and, and, and tonight, right now, um, I mean, have you heard? Are you are you watching the Twitter like I am? Yeah, well, off and on. So we've announced that we will launch a preemptive strike if North Korea... Uh, looks like they're going to have their six nuclear tests, which it looks like they're lining up to do sometime in the next few days. Like Trump said, we're going to strike North Korea. Are we? We're really going to? We're really going to take military action against North Korea? Like you, you might want to call people that owe you money and say, "Hey, <laughs> can you send me that money that you owe me?" Because uh... anyway, right? But yeah, so I mean that affects you. Right. In ways that you that you don't realize when 
you come of age during these types of times. I mean, I can't imagine what, you know, children that are coming of age during the Trump administration, you know, what's their worldview going to be like? I know. Well, and, and think about, so my oldest daughter was born in the same year as the iPhone. And I think about what was yeah. born the same year as me, and it was like a, a really, I guess, quote, popular personal computer um, way back in 1978. And I think about my younger daughter who was born the same year as the iPad. You know, like, that's crazy. Because <laughs> you, yeah. you, know, you think about that trajectory of things that were born when you were, you know, or uh, things that, that were being developed the same year that you were born. And just to, to extrapolate where not just the technology goes, but just the worldview goes. Because so much of, of her worldview is going to be based on carrying around the world's information in a small glass slab or whatever it is, you know, in, in her pocket or on her eyeballs or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and she has an iPhone, and she's very adept at using it. And I think about if I were 10, like, and... If, if I could go back in time and give 10-year-old me an iPhone, it would be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, what? Email? What? Um, you know, and then that... Uh, it, it's fascinating to me that... Um, you know, it's the same thing that the, the Greeks and the Romans talked about. You know, the epoch that you were born in really does determine kind of how you look. Oh, God. I oh, know. Okay. That was from 2013. Someone just tweeted a 2013 Trump tweet that says, be prepared. There's a small chance that our horrendous leadership could unknowingly lead us into World War Three. I'll say, wait, what? Yeah. There is, yeah. I, I really appreciate the people that are doing the legwork to find the perfect Trump tweet for every occasion. Right. Like that, where it's, um, yeah, that's kind of how we all feel now. Like we have um, a completely incompetent person in the White House. Right, I mean, you were talking about this today, where he's like, um, so basically, I thought China could solve North Korea, and then I talked to the president of China for 10 minutes, and he explained to me that it's complicated. So I thought I had power over them, but it's not like you think. And it's like, really? Like, are you, like, he really is that stupid, right? Like he said, nobody knew healthcare could be so complicated. Like, everybody knows healthcare is complicated, apparently, <laughs> except for you. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so so this is great. Yeah, so we're going to supposedly preemptively strike if North Korea chooses to test a nuclear weapon, which means we're going to start a war, and it's going to be a massive war. So, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I hate getting into the, like, we told you so, but this is what you and I have been talking about for a long time. Anyway, um, yeah, how does that affect okay. your psyche? He, he no, just I, arrived I, in Mar-a-Lago with no staff. So, it's all good. He's going to play some golf. <laughs> Let the big boys in Washington figure it out. Man, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I remember as a kid growing up in a Reagan, and, you know, the... I was not old enough to get all the, the jokes about his age or whatever, or his mental capacity. Um, but I do remember that Genesis video. Um, you know, this is the world we live in. These are the, you know, and it, it's like a, a parody of, of Reagan's administration. And there were, you know, uh, big bombs going off and that kind of thing. But right when I was sort of coming of age, the Berlin Wall fell down. And for me, like, that that era really impacted so much of my outlook. And then Bill Clinton ran for president, and he was upbeat and rather young, and he was running against George W. Bu or George H.W. Bush. H.W., yeah. Yeah, you know, and it, it was such a such a such an optimistic time in America. And I don't know, I feel terrible that... I have a daughter that's 10 and she's coming into this world now where we're all so cynical and divided. And that's, I guess that's what I mean about the whole church thing on Sunday mornings. Like not that, you know, it's church. I mean, it could be going to the farmer's market, whatever, but like there was this cultural thing where we all got reminded once a week, at least that you're not the center of the universe. And, um, 
your ideas probably aren't that great about how everything works. Right. Whereas now, I mean, I love, again, I love the internet, but it's so self-reaffirming or self-affirming. Yeah. You know, so it's like, whoa, my idea is right because I found a subreddit that it completely sounds like me. This is great. I, I'm here. I'm home. Seven people retweeted me. I'm having my. Yes. I'm having a moment. Cha-ching! My dopamine release because I got a hundred likes on Instagram, hundred hearts or whatever. Like, my gosh, th- there's nothing better than getting a hundred likes on Instagram. I mean, that feeling you get. I mean, that's you, you smile. There's no way not to. Yeah. But so then, so I guess, you know, as I'm thinking about the, like the whole Holy Week thing and thinking about this time that we live in and how that affects us, it was this, there's this post that um, was in the Washington Post this week, which was really great. And it was a crucified man had prior run in with authorities. And so it's this satirical take on Jesus and how. We always, basically every news story um, that talks about uh, a person of color, you know, being killed by cops or um, the Asian American doctor who was uh, knocked out and drug off the United flight. Uh, <laughs> I, one of my one of my friends today posted a uh, the other side of the story from a pilot's wife. Have you seen yeah. this post? No. Oh my god! And it was like. Yeah, he should have just gotten up. I mean, we should just submit to authority when it tells us to because they're looking out for us, and these people are serious, and it's his fault that he made a big scene out of it. Right. He made the scene by when the cops forcibly removed him from his seat and knocked him out and broke his nose and is going to apparently cause him to have to have surgery and knock teeth out. Yeah, he calls the scene. Um, Do what they told you. But there was this there was this good piece, and it was kind of like um, talking. It was talking about Jesus, right? And it's like, oh well, you know, he had a troubled background because apparently. I'm a spoiler, spoiler! You're supposed to wait. Oh, sorry. Jeez, it's crucified man. Yeah, I mean, that's season on. two, e five. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you know, you think about like Michael Brown, right? When he was, you know, shot by a cop in the middle of the street, um. What they're like, oh, well, you know, he was probably stealing some cigarettes earlier in the day, and that's why the cop shot him. Of course, the cop didn't know anything about that. And then, you know, this this doctor uh, who is, um, you know, uh, beaten and drug off a plane by authorities, they're like, oh, well, he had a checkered pass. I don't know. He had some thing. I don't know. But it's, right, it's just the idea that. Um, and how we have to portray, you know, I mean, this never happens to a white person, right? When Dylan Roof goes into the church and goes into Mother Emanuel in Charleston and kills nine people, it's not about his troubled background. It's like, oh, you would never, would, you never would think this nice little white kid would do something like this. Um, that type of stuff affects you too, right? When you grow up in that kind of world. I mean, the satire is great. Right? It's, a, it's a really, you know, good piece that that makes a point, but. Yeah, it, it I mean, talking, we are yeah. we are a product of the of our societies, right? The world in which we live, we can't escape that. Yeah, and I I don't know. I mean, I talked to so many people. Jeez, I sound like Trump. I was going to say I talked to so many people who who call themselves Christians who think this, but um, you know, it, it's it's that notion that the own personal your own personal Jesus means more than whatever Jesus meant. And that's why I, I get so pissed off at you you know, you relativists and you uh you people who wanna wanna say like the historical Jesus doesn't matter. Um and it's all your fault. Like now we have this eroding notion of, of truth and centrism of of who Jesus was. So people like arguing against that post or, or like the easter bunny thing did you read the comments on facebook from that thing you sent me about the, the little cute <laughs> scottish girl reading no no i know the first rule of the internet I holy, sh- it. holy shit i mean it was like well i mean it, on, on one hand it was well yes but we shouldn't take this joy away from children and and who are we to talk about um you know innocent things that lead people to christ because the easter bunny is there as a symbol of life and love and then you get the other side of, you know, the the 
sort of alt-left atheist who are like, well, you know, he should have told his daughter that Christianity co-opted ancient pagan rituals, which is not true. And, you know, it's like, whoa, come on, people. Like, it's the Easter Bunny. Um, anyway, I, I just, I don't know. I get so wound up in this because we've, in some ways, rightly abandoned the, the quest for the historical Jesus. But in some ways, that shit that we need to know. You know, like, he was a real person. What did he stand for? And no, we can't get back there, but we can, we can do some pretty good science. We can do, you know, we, we've, got, we've got cool technology. Let's figure out as much as we can. Like, just because it didn't work in the 20th century for 50 years, because a, a group of white men couldn't figure it out, like, that doesn't mean that we need to abandon the whole, you know, program. I don't know. I blame it on, on postmodernism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as you should, on which you should blame everything. Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm just trying to figure out how how the answer to your woes of like Holy Week doesn't mean what it used to is <laughs> we should have the fourth quest for the historical Jesus. We should, we should, we should get on a boat and go to Jerusalem. We'll start in Accra and, and see how it goes. We'll build a fort. We'll make the Holy land great again. So instead of WWJD, it would be M. <laughs> J-G-D, make Jerusalem great, M-J-G-A, that doesn't work so well. No, we gotta gotta find something that hashtags well. Yeah. You know, I just realized that um, article that that we were talking about earlier with the startup stuff, they did the WWJD, and I didn't even catch it the first time with their title. What would Jesus disrupt? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Are we going to link to that? Yeah, we can do that. It's an interesting. It's definitely an interesting piece. Well, I mean, did, did we have anything else on that? I mean, we we kind of took a long arc of history bending towards. I don't know. Time is a, circle. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. Right? Yeah, flatland. Um. Oh man. So yeah, they did. So Bloomberg had this article called "What Would Jesus Disrupt." And the subheading is entrepreneurs from Cincinnati's Crossroads Church try to scale their startups without selling their souls. And they show this this uh, concert-looking thing in a big arena. But anyway, the pastor wearing a, a nice UNC blue sweater behind him has a sign that says, Pray Big. Yep. What the hell does that mean? I don't know, but it's like you can see his... Um, his it's student motors. He's got, a, he's got a MacBook Pro back there. He's got a MacBook Pro with an external monitor. It's not a bad way to live. No, it's not. Got a whiteboard to the side. Oh, yeah, there's a whiteboard. He's got a motorcycle helmet or something over there on the yeah. left. And then he's got, a, like, Joel Osteen's book. Not a whole lot of books on his bookshelves. Lots of pictures. Yep, yep. That's how you can tell a lot about a preacher, when they have a lot of pictures on the bookshelves yeah. and they don't have a lot of books. Right, so you know, like um, as a little aside here, you you see all these things on Pinterest and other places, where it's like, here's how to style your like bookcase with knickknacks, and I'm like, really? Like, just, just put books on them. That's what they're books for. On right? it. Just books. <laughs> and then your styling is done. Yeah. Um, no, and really interesting piece kind of follows this group, and it's basically, you know, how do you do startup the Jesus way? And then they get in this like. You, so you remember all this? This goes way back too, right? To the really, really early days of um, thinking religion back when we were thinking Baptist, right? So like, yeah, if you like early thinking religion as opposed to late thinking religion, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little, little R, early REM. Um, we, we did IRS a show. Tapes era. We did a show a long time ago, and I'm pretty confident we titled it. Um, like the Jesus was an early dropper. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I remember that. So yeah. we kind of talked about that. And so it's this idea of like, Jesus is like the first, 
uh, like startup, like first successful startup. Like he had his product, right? It was his, his product was like salvation or something. And he was like pitching his product and getting investors. And it's like, it's just kind of amazing. But um, yeah, it's all this money tied into this startup culture, right? And it was kind of amazing. The church actually was essentially started out of Procter & Gamble, which shocked me. Uh, I I did not know that. Um, but yeah, so like how do you do startups the Jesus way, um, which is really just just a really perfect metaphor for American Christianity, right? Like what do we want to do, and can we put the veneer of Jesus over it to say that we're like being Christian when we're doing it? Well, and, and you know, that's that's the trick. Now it's make America great again. What what is America? Like, what what do you mean by America? Because your America is going to be different than my America. And the same thing with you know put the put the Christian veneer on top. It's like, well, what does Christianity mean to your church or your group or you? Because that's going to be perhaps different. Which is, I mean, it sounds odd and blasphemous, but it's really not if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and I think. So many of these, I don't know. I mean, the idea that there's like this massive, what did they say? I, I forgot the, the size of this thing. Uh, it's Crossroads Church in Ohio. But just the fact that these things operate like businesses, like that's kind of weird, right? Yeah. You know, they're talking about doing accelerators and right. venture they capital. Have, they have 30,000 congregants, an annual operating budget of $33 million, and a staff of 274 people. Like, why? And, of course, you know, PNC Financial Group and Fifth Third Bank, Ocean Accelerator, like all these huge uh, financial institutions are, are buying into it because it's fantastic and you've got a captive audience. But I mean, as, as a church, like when do you get to the point where you, you, you stop and you look around and you're like, what the hell are we doing? Or, or does that happen? And you, and you just say, no, no, this is good. We're, we're helping people. No, it doesn't happen as a church. It happens on the individual level. And then when you start asking questions, that's when they push you out. Right. I mean, you and I both been there. So, and then more people come in and drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and they just replenish it. Right. This is cool. Like, oh yeah, I can get behind church that looks like this. That's about telling me how good I am and about telling me, um, you know, how God really wants me to be successful. And, you know, everybody here kind of looks like me, like they're cool and they're young and they're hip and they got their Starbucks coffee and, you know, they're, pastor super casual and i can go have a beer with him or maybe drink a little bit of bourbon which i do with my pastor by the way um but <laughs> me too yeah but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, it's awesome um i don't know I, I don't think it happens as a church i think it happens on the individual level and then and that that's dangerous for the institution and so they push you out Yeah, I don't. I don't think Jesus was into making accelerator labs. I think he was kind of against that, you know. Because I, I mean, imagine in the first century with with the whole temple complex. If you're going to make money in Jerusalem during, you know, Passover, one of the great ways to do that would be having, uh, you know, an animal to currency conversion <laughs> system. App. Yeah, exactly. I built the script <laughs> app. Right. It's like it's like Uber, but, you know. So you, for, yeah, so it's like you're coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. You haven't been here a long time or you've never been here. I got this great little map. It's going to tell you exactly where you're going to go hang out. It's going to give you, you know, the art section and you go to like the little hipster section over there and you can go to the gay section. Well, maybe not the gay section, but, you know, uh, that section over there. That's the Roman section. <laughs> right, exactly. You can go to the Roman section, <laughs> um, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, no, that'd be great. I could definitely see Jesus not doing that. Um, I don't know. Again, it just strikes me as this... I mean, everything that we do 
is necessarily projection, right? But like this is just way more so than a lot of other things. Jesus would have definitely deleted his Uber app on his iPhone. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, of course. I mean, Jesus likes likes the things that I like. And you know what? I'm, not, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna roll that back. I'm gonna walk that back. Jesus would not have used an iPhone. He would have used Android. <laughs> you think so? Jesus <laughs> didn't like that walled garden. Exactly. He would have had a pixel like me. My Jesus. Um, yeah, that's just weird. Like, how do you go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to... Sorry. How do you go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to, to this, where you have a, you know... Two three million dollar venture capital fund for Ethiopian or no what's it Sudanese companies that are incorporating machine learning to helping build prosthetic hands. That's awesome. That's great. Fantastic. Good on you. But you're gonna you're gonna do that through a church, and it goes back uh, to what else? I guess I started with like. This whole notion of church is rapidly changing, just like every other part of our culture. And as the baby boomers die off, or get of age and, and prepare to die off. <laughs> prepare to die off. <laughs> Hashtag. Then more and more of this is going to change on an accelerating basis. Because I think so much of what we consider mainstream culture whether it's how we take news or, or entertainment or anything like that, so much of that is based around that mid-20th century experience. I mean, you, you could pick you or me up and, and drop us into New York in 1965, and we would be okay. Right? I mean, we, we would make do. Yeah. It wouldn't be alien. But you can take someone from 1965 and drop them into New York in 2017 and expect them to be okay. I don't think they, I mean, they would adapt eventually, but it would not be the same scenario. And I think so much of what's happening now with these societal changes of, of politics, religion, these, these underpinnings of society, like so much is, is really evolving at a, at a quicker pace than, than we've had happen before with direct input because we have this information economy in front of us and we're able to see what the president says on his way to his, you know, estate in Florida. Whereas, you know, 50, hundred years ago, you, you would have to wait a couple of days to hear that. And then by that time, you know, that the craziness would have worn off. Um, but the information conveyance, this real-time thing, is really changing so much of, of how we perceive events. And when there's a missile launch or when there's a strike on North Korea or when there's this or, you know, when a famous athlete does something, like, all of a sudden we all know about it and we all have our opinions and boom, 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 and then we were over it. Um, and then we, we try to correlate our experiences with... A world that doesn't we, we try to correlate things like church and politics and these slow moving deliberate things with a world that doesn't really respect that and it, it's it's a, it's a strange conundrum yeah um, I think that's a, a, a good opportunity for us to segue into talking about the last thing that I wanted to talk about which is this um this project uh, called Places You'll Pray by um, Sana Ola. And it's a really great project. It's part of her um, master's thesis and great video and great uh, photography. That's what she does, photojournalism. Um, but, you know, it's kind of getting at this for, you know, it's talking about kind of pr- the place of prayer in the life of American Muslims and then the actual physical places that they go to pray. Um, besides just going to a mosque, you know, places that they choose to go, like out in nature, uh, and places that they have to go, maybe into like a small closet or something because of how their co-workers may treat them. Um, but it's kind of getting at, I think, from the same a similar type question, right, from a different angle of 
you know, how do we how do we correlate these things, right? This world in which we live, and then this this other part of who we are, or you know what we do. And so she has this. Um, she you know talks a lot a lot about identity and about Foucault, which uh, I like a lot. The French philosopher Michel Foucault. Um, but she talks about identity. It's kind of always been this intriguing conversation for the average human, including young American Muslims. Um, but then when you're kind of placing um, an individual in one specific group or category, then the subject becomes more complicated. Um, and so she talks about how Foucault says knowledge is power, but over time, she, uh, she says popular culture is strayed away from the context in which he was quoted. So Foucault believed that introducing a topic or sharing a story of some sort was in the hands of the storyteller. Uh, to give false information or to manip- manipulate a story was a power many artisans were unaware of. I'm not sure I would agree with that, but um, but she says the same sh- could be applied to imagery, right? Our truths may not be the entire truth, but to share it was the mere power we each had in storytelling. So, you know, it's kind of she's a storyteller as well. But this idea of, you know, how does your identity and, and how does um, knowledge kind of play into your identity, your knowledge of your surroundings, the knowledge of other people that other people have of you. Um, and how does that affect your identity? And then how does that in turn affect how you relate to the world around you? Yeah. First I'm going to have to, um, we're going to have to back up next week and talk about Foucault. I know we have before, but I think for some of our newer listeners, um, I think that we would could, be fun. We could definitely do a series on like French philosophers and sociologists. I would definitely be down with that. <laughs> yeah. Straight to the I, top of iTunes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about Pierre Bourdieu. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. That's definitely gonna gonna keep people coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so if you love the French philosophers and about Bourdieu, yeah, but um, I don't know if that's that's what the, hey, but if that's what the people want, we got to give the people what they want. Well, I was gonna say, um, sorry, my wife was texting me from Monday Thursday service. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the doghouse. It's all your fault. Um, I think <laughs> if I'm laughing on the outside, I think if um. I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, especially with with the Foucault connection. I think if we want to um, I think uh, I don't know, not grow, but like the the you all have to click the link, go to the the picture of the lady. You know, doing her her prayers in the van. It's a van, right? Yeah, it's a van, and it looks to be on her wedding day. Go and look at that, and realize how beautiful but disturbing it is. And then thinking about what that means for not just you know Islam, but also Christianity. And providing those spaces for people to interact, you know, whatever your religious persuasion is. Um, there are a lot of people who aren't white male, you know, guys in, in UNC colored sweater vest who who don't feel like they can, act, you know, adequately experience God and, and worship and pray in a place that we would assume they they would feel comfortable doing that. Um, So to see that image and and, and think about the future of something like religion or Islam or Christianity or, you know, whatever strand, um, I think there's a lot to to learn there. And just, you know, her, her posture and everything else, it's... It's, I mean, it's pretty striking. It's pretty amazing. 
yeah go go check out places you'll pray for sure there's a there's a really good um about 13 minute long video there's some text here a lot of great pictures as well that uh sana's taken and she does a lot of other good work too so you can um at some point i don't know if there's a link to her website might not be but uh yeah there is down toward the bottom a little bit a little section about her um go to her website and find some more of her work there as well she's doing really fantastic work but um you know i think this is a good thing too because um you know part of what she's trying to do is start a conversation right about religion and identity and um and the role that those things play in our lives and i think that's that's particularly important for people like you and me to have right i mean maybe you and i are a little bit um more woke than the next person right if we can be completely uh, <laughs> unhip not, right. not do a spit take of my Miller Lite. <laughs> yes, Thomas, I'm um, woke. Yeah, yeah. Sam is definitely definitely woke. Um, <sighs> right, but terrible. But the problem, right? You talked about um, baby boomers and things like that. Um, voting for Trump um, consistently. The problem is white people. Not every white person, of course. We don't have to get down that road, but. You know, white Protestants, you know, um, evangelicals voted for Trump. Uh, white evangelicals voted for Trump uh, over 80%. Um, you know, they need to start uh, maybe getting out of their shells a little bit. Um, but realizing, you know, things like this that are really humanizing um, shouldn't be necessary. Um, but they are. And, and I, I think Sana's work does a really good job um, kind of portraying some of those things. To I imagine, um, you know, I, I imagine our audiences uh, to some degree looks a lot like us. So be good um, for them to check out and share with their family, right? Even though this might be quote unquote political, maybe you'll still uh, share it on Facebook. Yep. But don't worry, this is not one of those. If you love Jesus, you'll share this thing <laughs> because <laughs> I absolutely do not like those and do not ever share those things. Do you, do you get those too? Yes. Yes. All the time. Not as much lately, I guess. Um, but I still get them fairly regularly. I mean, they've just replaced the email chains, right? That's right. all it is. So. Which is fascinating that we still have these like email chains of, well, Donald Trump did this to this you know, uh, veteran who is missing both of his arms, and he touched him on the face and shared this with many people. But what does it tell you, right? It tells you that the the problem, white right? That, don't know how to use the white, internet, right? Exactly. White people don't know how to use the internet, but the problem <laughs> is never the problem is never the medium or the technology, right? The problem is the people, right? When it was it was like legitimate chain letters before we had the internet and email, and then it was chain emails, and now it's chain Facebook posts. It's chain Twitter posts and chain Snapchats or whatever. Uh, the problem is the people are stupid, right? A lot of people are just really stupid and really gullible. And we have this, this incredible knack for giving into things that, right? It's the confirmation bias, right? That make us feel good about what we believe and who we are. So it's just, I don't know, my little rant right there at the end, just to say like, the internet is great. The internet is not the problem. iPhones are not the problem. The problem are people. The problem is people. And maybe we'll end it at that, right? On a very misanthropic note. Um, as always, uh, we appreciate it. We, we've gotten a number of new listeners uh, lately. I mean, we can see it in the numbers, but we can also, um, some people are reaching out. So we really appreciate that. Got a fun one uh, this last week. We're now someone's new favorite podcast. So we are uh, yeah, excited about that. Um, hopefully we can keep that going for a second week. And if we do, then uh, we, have, <laughs> we have accomplished something. Um, as and, and always. If you, if you, well, before you do that, yeah. if you want to help us out, and and keep us going you know i mean we've been doing this for so long that we're going to do it anyway but you know if you don't have time to send us a nice tweet which we totally appreciate and that's worth more than any monetary amount and that's from uh second luke chapter 8 verse 69 um if you don't have time to send us a nice tweet about our show you can always just anonymously or or with your name like go to patreon 
and give us some money. Uh, if, you, if you go to, to our, our site, there's a little thing up there that says donate. Click that. It's very easy. It's safe, secure from all alarm, and you will uh, you will help us out and make us feel very good about ourselves. We had a couple of new Patreon subscribers or donors, uh, patrons, whatever they're called, uh, this week, this month, actually, uh, April. Thank you for uh, for helping us out. That pays the bandwidth, and it, it keeps us going, so we, we definitely appreciate that. And it, it helps uh, the pups as well, because... Pup's gonna pop, you know. Pup's gonna pop. Tell me, let me tell you about it. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you do want to send us those nice tweets, uh, do that. We really appreciate that. Sam is at Sam Harrelson. I am at Thomas Whitley. And as always, you can find more great podcasts. At-